Welcome to Hollywood 2.0, this is Peter Katz. My guest is Malcolm DeLeo, Chief Evangelist at NetBase Solutions, a social intelligence company. He gets into detail about how the entertainment industry could use social media listening to influence creative and business decisions. I uh, have worked in innovation my entire career and was extremely enamored with the idea of using social media as a uh, means to drive business. So. The reason I joined NetBase and got involved in a lot of the work I'm doing is a chance to work on something new that people don't really uh, understand quite yet or are still learning how to do, and the opportunity to work on new markets with new people. Now, so what does NetBase do exactly, and how does it relate to the entertainment industry? Sure. So NetBase is essentially kind of gives you the ability to understand the crowd, right? And the crowd is everybody talking publicly online. And we've developed, uh, like, technology algorithms that allow you to understand the emotions and behaviors very accurately from all that content. So it allows you to really drill into the very key uh, areas that you may be interested in, whether it's a, whether it's a, a, a talent, a movie, uh, a campaign. And so the reason it, it pertains very highly to the entertainment industry is um, there are campaigns, digital campaigns going on all the time. People want to understand the responses that are happening for either their movies or television shows or with their talent. Um, it gives you the ability to uh, compare talent, understand how people are reacting to it, and ultimately it actually gives you the ability to understand in real time exactly what people are saying online and aggregate that information so that you can make business decisions from it. And when you say business decisions, is it solely based on the marketing or is it also creative decisions? Because if you look at a TV show, it continues for multiple seasons. So should TV show creators respond to the social media and change how the story progresses and who they cast? Yeah, actually, that's a really good question. In, in fact, we like to look at it as there's lots of different use cases. So to your point, Peter, you could kind of do both. Um, you can make split-second decisions like, for example, um, if you're watching the, uh, uh, a reality show and understanding how people feel about it, you can actually adjust what's going on in real time. But by that same token, you could just study a brand like a brand new television show that's come out, understand across the entire season what people liked and disliked about it, and actually bring that in, into how you develop the season after. So it's great in real time all the way to long time. It could be at a category level or a show level. It's fairly um, broad. And if you think about the reason why is there's so much conversation going on um, online that it's really the challenge is um, figuring out how to capture that information and make decisions from it. So what are your favorite concrete case studies that really show the value of uh, using this data? Yeah, and I, I, you know, I'm going to go off a little from uh, beyond, beyond even entertainment. So in entertainment, I'll start there. Um, I very uh, recently had the pleasure of working with AMC on monitoring the, um, the first, the premiere episode of the last season of Breaking Bad and really taking a look at, you know, um, how people were responding not only to the show that day, but also, you know, to help them understand what was possible um, with uh, talking back. And, you know, it was an experiment to understand how they could watch a show uh, that was happening and inform a show that was happening live, to see what kind of key things they could learn. And, and they learned things like um, which character was being talked about the most, and it was a surprising result, and that it wasn't uh, Walter White, it was Jesse. Um, they were able to see key influencers who were talking about the show, and they said, huh, you know, when we do this format, maybe we can identify future uh, celebrities that we can put on the show. We also were looking at, you know, what potential questions they may ask 
um, in the after show. So, I mean, these were things they were learning as they did it in, in terms of how they could inform their process. So that's one example. Um, the second um, would be um, I do a lot of work with Taco Bell, and even though that's not an entertainment client, they're one of my favorite people to, that I work with because they've been so uh, advanced in their in their uh, how they use social media. And one of my favorite examples is that you know they they have a command center that you know monitors their their, their uh, brand live all the time. And uh, during their steal a base, steal a taco campaign, which is a campaign during the World Series where when someone steals a base, the whole country gets a free Doritos Locos taco. Um, as they were monitoring that campaign, which is going extremely well, their sentiment, meaning how people felt, was very high. The buzz was up very high. Hurricane Sandy was marching up the eastern seaboard into New York at the exact same time. And because they were listening so closely, they were able to find out that a few days before the campaign, there were people actually complaining about the fact that they were giving away the campaign taco during this, the hurricane. They heard about it, they had the information, and they were able to react and make a change before it became a problem for them. So I always love that example because that really shows you how when you're proactive using social media, if you're listening really well, you can actually avoid problems from the business. And how that would apply, for instance, in Hollywood is as you're doing your pre-launch campaign for a movie, for example, you could be understanding what people like and dislike about the campaign or about the movie and really get ahead of it. So you can adjust over time. Give you that proactive ability. I see. So, now, are other industries more uh, proactive of adopting your uh, your company's services uh, than, let's say, for instance, the film industry or TV? Well, I think it varies. I mean, I wouldn't say there's any one industry that's leading the charge. I, I still think as this market's developed, and I've been involved in it for close to seven years, I think it's, it's really, um, the way I always like to say it, it's kind of a funny way of saying it, is you know, people buy a tool like what we, what we have, but they have to build a process. But lastly, when they have a tool and a process, they still need a culture willing to make changes. And so the reason you can't um, kind of peanut butter which, which industry is ahead of another, it's because culturally, um, you know, people haven't really uh, understood the power of using social media and listening to what people are saying before they market. I, and I like to say they, they don't pull before they figure out what to push. So, you know, it's very spotty. I mean, there's companies that I work with like Coca-Cola and Taco Bell that I think are like way ahead of others. Um, you know, working with AMC, I think AMC is really thinking about it uh, in a very creative way. And, and I've just started working with Nickelodeon, who I think has some, who has some really great abilities. And as we integrate listening into what they do, it's only going to get better. Now, so what, sets, I, what sets AMC apart? Because you focused on their uh, how open they are to, you know, these new technology. What is kind of their uh, philosophical difference than potentially other players in the industry? That's a really good question. I think that the people that are understanding how to utilize listening are doing a few things. Number one, they understand that social listening can help them get the why. So when a show does really well, they'll say, why did that happen? And using that why information and being able to get that kind of information quickly gives them the ability to you know, really take in and understand how they may make changes, number one. Number two, if you're asking how it can tell you why things are happening and doing it in quick periods of time, it, it allows you to be, uh, what I call, they're, they're very qualitatively quantitative. People are very caught up when they're doing market research in particular or, or collecting data and being very analytical. Social listening happens so quickly and the ability to do it day by day, even hour by hour, 
that, you know, before you quantify things, everything's moved on. I think AMC has taken that approach. I think Taco Bell has taken that approach. I think uh, Coca-Cola is taking that approach. The companies that are understanding that they can quantify things, but they're more interested in the depth beneath it, those, those are the people that I think are starting to really excel. Now, let's go back to what you said, the depth and what? The what? Your you had a terminology about the depth of uh, understanding or like... Was oh, like, oh. yeah, qual- qualitatively quantitative. What no, that means is... Yeah, what does that mean? Yeah, what that means is, you know, when you quantify something, you statistically are proving that, you know, we see a change and we know that change is real. When you're qualitative, it's like listening to a group of people and kind of understanding in general what's being said and taking action on that. When you combine the two in social, I can tell you the, the, the actual change in conversation down to the number of people talking. But, you know, because the data is so fluid, sometimes really locking down and saying, you know, this is statistically, you know, a statistic change. Sometimes you just have to use your gut a little bit. And I think, you know, in the early stages of social listening, as we continue to explore what's possible, um, I believe that, that, you know, that kind of cultural mindset is allowing people to get their programs up and running because they're not afraid to try. Because you're getting that feedback loop and you're creating new systems. Exactly. Right. You know, it's a new way of talking. Everybody's online. Right. It's, it's like the old question I always ask. And I always talk about this. I've gone to conferences for three years. I will stand in front of hundreds of people and say, how many of you trust social as a means of running your business? We'll get 5% of the hands to go up. But then when I ask them, how many of you, when you're picking a restaurant, um, you know, buying a new appliance, trying to go to the movies, trying to decide what to do, how many of you as consumers go online and make those decisions with social data? Well, everybody's hands go up. And so that, that differential that's going on in the marketplace is something that's affecting companies' ability to adopt new ways of doing things. And, and, isn't it, and isn't it interesting that some of the biggest players now in Hollywood are based in Hollywood? Because you have Amazon, uh, you know, you have Netflix, and you have YouTube. Right. I know they have uh, offices here to some degree, but the amount of information they have on a user is interesting because with, with, the, with the viewers of a, just a theatrical movie this film studio doesn't know that much information. But on, when you go on Netflix, it's not, you don't even need to opt in. It's like a good tweet, it's an opt in. When you're right. on Netflix, you're providing all this information, any any like button you press. So it's almost like these new tech uh, companies are becoming like serious players because they have the social media and they can mix that with all the behavior on their site. Absolutely. In fact, I think, you know, as I, I mean, and I'm, I'm new to learning Hollywood. I'm just bringing what we do into, and, and working with new folks in Hollywood. And one of the common themes I've heard is, and whether it's controversial or not, I don't know, is that a lot of the way money changes hands, particularly on television, is based on advertising and it's based on Nielsen ratings. But we all know in our hearts that people don't watch TV the same way anymore. They're watching it on mobile. They're watching it on DVRs. They're watching it after. The whole way that people interact with their content it's completely changed. And you're right. You know, these companies like Netflix are having all this great data that they can, you know, slice and dice and look at and manage. And, you know, couple that with what people say online. It's very, very powerful into getting to the mind of your own consumer to try to understand how to influence them. Yeah, they're, um, they're so, more, so far advanced. It's because they were the outsiders coming in, so they didn't have rules to stick to, you know, versus these big legacy media companies that... Over like 
so many years have developed this the structure so it's interesting that these leaner tech models are almost in a way forcing an evolution well yeah and, and let me talk more about that for a second so you know and, and one of the things that i've seen in the market and i have a partner and we're starting to figure out how to write about this is we kind of believe that we've entered what we call the post-authoritative economy and the post-authoritative economy means that companies are no longer in charge anymore and, and the reason that's happened over time and you just touched on it is if you take the idea of modes, and a mode is a mode of communication. 30 years ago, it was television and radio and very newspaper, print, you know, very traditional modes of communication. And companies in the past really had control of those modes and the venues, like a television show on TV or a radio program or an editorial, like all those things. So the modes and the venues by which consumers were interacting with media were fairly controllable by by big organizations, particularly in Hollywood. Well, those modes and venues changed, right? 30 years ago, the internet started to come, mobile technology. We have new modes, and now we have new venues, Facebook, Twitter, any kind of program that you use on those venues. And when that shift happened, what's really gone on is social media exploded, and it kind of happened not in the dot-com bus, but around 2006, 2007, when Twitter and Facebook started and YouTube, right? These were all new venues using the new mode. And, and something incredible happened. The power shifted. And, you know, social media really, is, to me, isn't about speed. It's about power. And it's about who has that power. And what's happened in this shift is the individuals have the power now. And that's one of the reasons why a lot of industries, not just Hollywood, are reeling trying to keep control. Well, the reality is they don't have control. And that's why leadership needs to completely change. It's like we're in a post-authoritative economy, and marketing is different. How you reach people is different. How you understand them is different because there's so many different ways that the individual has the power and has the choice that you can't control anything anymore. You and can't you can't control anything anymore. I totally agree. Like when it comes to let's say a web series, even my podcast costs nothing to produce, or any of these things. I mean, there are a lot of things. Even like you could put together a million dollar film. I mean, put find that money. It's possible or web series. But when you want to do a show like Game of Thrones or film like Iron Man, then you need major organizations to get together. And they're always going to be the muscle, in my opinion, to build this. I mean, unless I'm proven wrong and there's a Kickstarter where someone doesn't even use a studio system and they raise $200 million. You never know. But at this point, I can't imagine that you can't have the scope uh, of epic content without the big systems in place. Oh, no. It's not saying that those are going to completely go away. No. But you have to be more aware of, well, let's put it this way. My daughter now asks me, what did it get on Rotten Tomatoes, which is the aggregation of all the different reviews of the movie. And sometimes those reviews start before the movie comes out, and that influences my decision. So there, that's a venue that's affecting, even though they spend $200 million on Iron Man, and you're right, they have to do that. But there's a whole new way you have to interact with the consumer because I have so many more ways to have control over what, what I do or how I do it and how I'm influenced on what I do. And so what I'm arguing is, you know, that that's true of any organization. And the point is they have to embrace the outside and bring it in more. My example of how I use Rotten Tomatoes to like movies is a good one. It influences whether I go or not a lot. And that, you know, that kind of idea of aggregating 150 movie reviews wasn't there 10 years ago. Oh, yeah, there is a uh, quicker communication. It's almost in a way right. that if a, film's a if film sucks, okay, 
it's yeah. gonna sink faster but if it's amazing it's going to rise much faster too so it's almost like uh, the powers are amplified for the good or the bad correct and, and what i say about post-authoritative is that companies need to be aware that what you just said is true and that requires us to not think we can control the message out of the marketplace it's being it's being adaptive because you can't exactly. you can't it's kind of like you know it's a dish where you stuff the food into the duck yeah. I forgot oh, there's the a tur- name for it, the, but they basically the, stuff this like stuff into the things like duck. And I think that's a lot of what the media was. They, you open your mouth and they just stuff stuff in your oh. mouth. But now it's so fragmented that they have to be more personal and adaptive. Right. Exactly. So, totally true. You know, so, yeah, I mean, I, yeah. we may be a little off topic, but I mean, that's the reality in the market, you know, and it's something that <laughs> many organizations are contending with. And, and when you asked me before, you know, who's really leading? I think the companies that are leading, that are putting the tools in place, building novel processes, and the leadership is creating a culture where it trusts the rest of the organization to do its job and doesn't try to you know, manage everything. So for instance, I've come across very large companies that the CEO reads something on Yahoo and sends everybody into a tailspin. That kind of stuff can't happen anymore. They need to have, they need to have trust in all their resources. I mean, when you say trust in all the resources, let's get back to... Uh social media if if you if you imagine that uh, a world where advertising is becoming less and less important tv you know this that world is now it's not it's not like oh things are doing well things are being disrupted as we speak but there's enough money in that system for not to be fully disrupted you see what i'm saying they're holding tight because the the cpms online are lousy for like some of the most popular youtube people you know So TV, everyone's holding on. They don't want it to go online. They want to make it work. And a lot of what makes it work is social media, is is the ability to make it more of a live event. Because if they have you watch a show and see the commercials and then you contribute to um, Twitter, which I think the Nelsons are now starting to count as part of the equation for uh, ratings, then there's value there. And because of that value, how should TV show creators develop their shows with that in mind, how what kind of extensions to what they've created or what they write should be thought about in this new age where that is important to the success of a show continuing? Well, I think you've seen some of it. I mean, reality TV has kind of helped keep people watching TV because who wants to see reality TV like Who Won Dancing with the Stars after it's already been on, right? So that's the first thing. I think the second thing is, um, you know, you're starting to see these shows pop up where, you know, they have integrated some sort of social commentary or, you know, into it. Like there's the show, that, the Ross show that's on, uh, I think it's on E, you know, I forget which channel it's on. Or, you know, Real Housewives, which has, the, you know, what, what happens live right after. I think they're really doing an effort of trying to make things more instantaneous in how they program that, you know, it's impossible that things aren't happening. I mean, I don't know if the technology and the processes have, have gotten all the way there. I mean, that's a process question. But, I mean, it seems that it's happening. Oh, it, it's, I could definitely see it happening and people are more into it. But you look at it and you go, why do people watch live sports? It's a community experience and they don't know what's going to happen next. And right. and how do you add a layer of that, 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 that social uh, context to the sports? But I think with dramatic shows, like, I mean, imagine if, I don't know, the show The Wire was uh, – being released now when we have so much social media. I mean, it would be crazy. It was a popular show, but I think The Wire could have been even more of a popular show if somehow it was developed, released today. 
So right. I'm just I'm just thinking about do you have ideas that you feel that somehow social media like when you when you hear the term transmedia storytelling, is there a way to take the stories onto Twitter and make them more interactive with the audience? I'm just saying it could be far out and crazy, but do you have any things that you think could enhance that live viewing experience with many people who are doing appointment viewing? Well, yeah, I mean, I, I think you could easily play like, quote, I don't know if you remember when I was a kid, they had what they called Choose Your Own Adventure novels. And you Choose Your Own Adventure novels where when you read it, you you would read the page and it said, if you want to do this, go to page seven. If you want to do that, go to page 13. Well, there's no reason why within a show that the way the show progresses between commercials could easily be amplified by having people tweet which direction the show should go. Right. So, you know, coming into an interactive way where you can gamify, and I know that word's a little tired, but gamify how people are watching and interacting and how they're interacting to the point that a recorded show could actually be adjusting as it's going. Right. That That's going to really bring people into the engagement because the more control you, because they have control of them, those venues, right? The more you can bring those venues into what you do and release control, the more you're going to be able to have them uh, be part of it. So, that would be a very interesting example is if you had a recorded show, which recorded shows are recorded, but what if they were recorded in multiple directions with multiple stories? And as time is going on, you were able to, you know, modify the story where, where the, where the viewer has a, a real uh, effect on where the show started and ended. It actually would allow them to have the season happen more, more than once or the show to happen more than once and see how many different ways it can turn out. It could be very interesting. Very and you could possibly also send a video to someone who's chatting using a hashtag. You get tweeted at, and while you're watching the show, you get the exclusive look at the trailer for the next season or something like that. So there's some little prize, something that you're privy to. Absolutely. I mean, you know, how do we start to use that interactive stuff going on and more? So yeah, I mean, you know, I just made that up, but you know, that would be pretty. That would be pretty far out because all I ever hear is, well, when we produce the show, it's produced and it's recorded way ahead of time and can't really change it and okay that's a process and that's a culture speaking about the process currently being used why can't it change you know um you know you have to be more fluid i i completely agree because these shows they exist because of subscribers how do you keep the subscribers engaged and connected and it's like uh if you think about it, it's like, why do you have a subscription to a gym or dance or whatever people go to for recreation? It's because there's a community that's built out of it. In the same way, it shows a community. Like, uh, I watch uh, UFC. That's a sport I respect, you know, and I have a lot of people that I watch with. So there's that community. And on Twitter, it's people I've never seen in my life who are part of this conversation. And I think that if this is going to add value to um, advertising and subscribers for various sh- networks and channels, that they need to figure out how to bake that into the process versus having it tacked on. Exactly. Very good point. That's now, uh, moving on, you um, is is there enough being done on the idea of social media driving conversions, like for uh, movie ticket sales? Was it, it? It feels that a lot of the social media is you know there's a lot of interesting stuff that's being done, but is a lot of it is enough serving the bottom line? Well, I mean, I think that's a challenge. And again, I live on the social listening side, which is poll, polling data to understand what's going on. And, um, you know, I, I think that, again, I, I, I say this a lot, and I'm not afraid to say it, is that I think the process is still being built on how to apply it to business. And when somebody asks me, you know, what's the ROI on having a listening program, I always look back at them and say, well, that depends. And they say, well, what do you mean? I said, let me, let, help me help you. And they said, well, what do you mean by that? I said, well, 
I have the ability to take this very powerful software in our case, point it at all the data, and really cordon off any set of data you want to look at and look at what the changes are and what those changes mean. But how you apply that to your business, you have to decide what metrics you run your business on so that we can kind of integrate these things. So when it comes to the bottom line, I think it's still a developing uh, still a developing point. Well, well, this is what I mean, okay? You have, uh, do you ever have that situation where you ask your friend, oh, have you seen, I don't know, let's say, have you seen gravity? And, and they go, uh, yeah, I've already seen it. Or it's just like you're trying to pull all these people together to see a movie. Mm-hmm. And it mostly feels that like if there's a way that they could have people who are chatting about it, somehow it's easier to to drive the ticket sale, like go, oh, this person just bought a movie and then it tweets out, do you want to oh. join some movie? There's some way that there's an asset or something that that starts oh, linking sure. people up into the theatrical experience. Because right now it's like, great, there's um there's a Twitter, you know, and a you know profile, whatever, that tweets about the film. Or there's something on Facebook. But it doesn't seem like it's doing enough to drive community and connections to buy tickets. Yeah, I don't know. I mean I, I don't have a great answer for that one. I, I think that I mean, you know, off the top of my head, I think that um, you know, there's plenty of people out there that are, you know, expressing their needs. So, I mean, the, the way to build communities around needs, I mean, that's why people go to forums. But what you're asking is, how do I listen for um, expressed needs, try to drive people towards each other for a common common issue? I mean, that's some of what Twitter is about, right? It's kind but I'm of talking about, like, stuff. there's a business component. Like, I think I heard that Twitter might be also offering through Fandango, which is to drive ticket sales to the Twitter. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure yeah, if that's I- happening right now, but it just seems like... There's, there's sometimes that, you know, when people criticize uh, branded entertainment is, well, you get people interested, but how are you going to um, actually see the conversions? Like, let's say Google search ads, where you could actually see the uh, the money you spent uh, go to go to work versus something else, which is more of an assist. But one, but one of those things that is, I mean, I guess the way I would see it from, from where I live is, you know, anybody's expressing, I want to go see a movie. I can figure out who's saying that. And it's up to the organization to try to convert them, right? Because... You can have an engagement program where if you're listening first to understand who's expressing the need, you can individually uh, you know, uh, interact with them and say, hey, if you, you want to know more about the movie, go here. Or if you want to go to the movie, you know, here's, a, here's a free ticket. If you buy three, buy three, get one free. So some of this, from a process perspective, on the onus of the, of the studio to be listening for who's expressing it and trying to put those people together and engage with them so that they can drive more conversion. So that's one way. I mean, that's social selling. We call it social selling. So it's back to the process. And those are areas yeah. that, like you said, are being defined as this currently is the wild, wild west. Totally. It's still the wild, wild west. I mean, I've been working formally in it for three years and, you know, informally because I was a customer for five since 2006 doing listening before Twitter and Facebook were big. And it's it's still very much the wild west. That's why, again, going back, you said, you know, who's, who's, is there an industry that's really great at it? And I said, no, because it's still very champion dependent. It's about creative people who understand the power of using social data to listen so that they can market better. Those are the ones that are building the most robust programs and taking on the entire organization to drive the change it needs to make it part of its everyday you know, uh, business cycle. Yeah, because these are huge organizations, so it's hard to say, make a quick turn. Yeah, totally. Absolutely. That uh, I agree. And Another area which you know, I'm always wondering how it could be uh, innovated on is is a lot of these film studios, they'll have a new Facebook uh, or a new Twitter 
account for each movie they release. So, so they might have one film that doesn't have a big underlying IP and they don't have a tremendous amount of uh, followers. And another one, like Fast and the Furious, which is huge. And what I was wondering, when it comes to um, you know that doing that, it's almost like you spend all this time and potentially even money to uh, bring them onto uh, these uh, different places, you know, in these buckets. And I was wondering, is that a is that a waste because it's fragmented? Is it better suited to actually create these uh, these profiles based on genre, so you could gather the largest amount of people and maybe have one underlying uh, IP driven film that's big? bring a lot of people, and then you can introduce new titles that might not have the same level of fanfare yet? Well, you know, it's an interesting question. I mean, I think that um, driving, I, I mean, I guess, again, this goes back to the push-pull idea. A lot of people are, when I say, what I would say, they're marketing into a fog, right? Every second, the amount of content online is going up so fast that you can't just peanut butter your approach. You have to kind of figure out where to listen. So I think to your point, I think first companies need to understand where their target audience is talking about what they're marketing to and then try to, you know, attract them or go to those places to influence them to come towards the content they create, right? So, for example, you know, I did some work with Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. There's a, there's a forum called the Technodrome that, like, is the number three place people talk about that brand. That is a place that you have a lot of a captive audience talking about you know, uh, a cartoon brand that's nostalgic, right? It's talking about it all the time. So if you know that, then that can help you understand how to best reach that audience or how to drive virality in whatever it is you're trying to do. So where their, you know, where their um, their own, you know, tentpoles are, like Twitter and Facebook, I think is less important than first understanding where they are. You know, Facebook is, you know, setting up a beacon where you want people to come towards you. They theoretically should be your core consumers because those who are going to take the time to interact with you on your Facebook page, agnostic of demographic, are you know, are kind of like your core, right? It's, it's the new core consumer. In the past, you had to segment your market and figure out, you know, different age groups, different groups, and stuff like that. I think that you know, Facebook is is a really interesting place. Or your Twitter handle. These are the people that come to you when you put the candy out. But but as you try to figure out, um, you know, in the wider web, how to attract those people. That's the right question, and that's a question I think some of the people I'm working with are trying to figure out. I, I see, and you mentioned that you're more concerned about the way people think versus who they are, their background, which it seems like the older way of doing it. Like For instance, I have friends and family members that are completely um, random. You know, They're all over the place, but they like the same programming on Netflix because the ease of use to... Um, watch a show or even online the easy use to listen to music so it almost like you're able to have let's say for instance some 10 year old girls suddenly love miles davis while uh six like you know 65 year old grandmother loves uh snoop dogg you know you have no idea what people are going to like because they don't have to go into a record store and pick it up they could or uh, you know buy it at a video store they just could get it anytime anywhere right well that goes back to my point there's new venues right when we were younger, when I was younger, I had to go to a record store to buy a record. Then all of a sudden, I had to go um, on iTunes to buy a song. Now I pay for Pandora, and I can you know, buy two Bluetooth speakers and take the entire world of music with me wherever I want. These, this new ease of use and ease of, ease of reaching content with your new modes um, are, are a really important part of um, the change that's happening and how 
we're, you know, entertainment industry has the opportunity to bring people towards them because they've, you know, created new venues that are easy to use and that people like to communicate with. Yeah, like anyone can listen to country when they might have said, I don't like country, I like metal or what any, it's just, there's more of a fluid identity online, which right. is interesting. And it's, and it's driven more by like interest than actually who they are, what, what they're about, you know, and that's something that the, it makes your uh, service more valuable because you can't put people in neat little boxes because you don't know who's going to be drawn to what content. Absolutely. And, and you know, you actually bring up an example I always like. I have Pandora and I have Spotify. Well, Spotify is my, is my, rec- is my record collection. Pandora is where I go learn about music I like by creating radio stations of bands I enjoy to find bands that I didn't know. Right? And that's an example of two different venues. So it's the same kind of thing when you're trying to understand what the crowd is saying about your brand. You know, there's multiple venues. Like I did some work for a company once that uh, it was like a mega issue that, that they're, they're facing, like a, like a global issue that they wanted to understand. And I was able to dig in as that issue related to their brand and actually looked on Facebook around the problem versus um, a, for, a particular forum like the conversation tones were very dramatically different. And it was it was news to them because they said, oh my God, we're really worried about this. We're worried about it in relation to our brand. And you've just shown me that even though this is a problem, this is a place that we can go take our message because they're not directing it at us. They're actually just directing it at themselves as consumers. This is a place we can learn. And that's the true message of why marketers in Hollywood need to be listening more carefully about the differences in how people talk, where they talk, why they like it, why they don't like it. Those insights can help drive their process to be much more effective and uh, more, much more scalable in terms of how they're marketing so that they don't waste dollars just pushing content out when they don't understand whether it's being reached, whether people like what they're setting out or whatever. That's where listening is very important. Yeah, it's like being a boxer without a trainer. You have no one that says you should run faster, slower, nothing to eat. So you have no idea what you're doing and if it's working. Exactly. You know, that, and that's a danger. And I think they, they do need trainers. And you brought up an interesting thing. As you said, this is like your record collection. And it has kind of a nostalgic way it sounds. Like, oh, this is my record collection. It's an idea of like, these are the physical goods. And then how my identity is connected to that. And people's kind of identity is connected to a lot of physical goods, whether or not they're comics or even vinyl collectors. And I wonder, is the entertainment industry doing enough to create identity around the products that people buy? Or are they just simply letting people click like on Facebook and that's enough? Is there more to drive um, conversions uh, by figuring out a ways to give somebody a way? Like, uh, what would the digital equivalent to vinyl be? Because right now, everybody's had these huge mass storages of music on GrooveShark or you know, Spotify. So the question is, is there a way to connect uh, some type of digital image with identity that would that would be in a, in a sense of what we do years ago when we had value of physical goods. Uh, I don't know. I mean, I think that what you're saying is that again, you know, people are just marketing into the into the into the social sphere, and they're not taking the time to understand the nuance of that message. I mean, I keep kind of saying the same thing. You know, my experience has shown me across multiple industries: working with agencies, working with now working with Hollywood, working with CPG and the insurance industry. Everybody wants to know and understand what people are saying about them. And, and that's really the first step to kind of being more creative in how you um, can market. 
you know, if you understand what people are saying and get that data from that's lying around out there, not only on you, but your competition, um, you know, there's just a wealth of more information that you can get in, in much quicker periods of time to help you decide what to do. I mean, I don't know how else to say it. And if you think about identity, uh, it's almost like there's a lot of people that are willing to fund Kickstarter because they want to be a donor to their favorite musician or filmmaker. So in a way that you can't steal uh, fandom, you either have somebody as a fan base or not, they could put something out, you know, a filmmaker and someone could steal it or a musician. But if it's actually through Kickstarters, the, the, the wall that protects it is the fact that it won't exist otherwise. So another way that I think that you have to listen is um is this transition to a crowdfunding model for financing versus the traditional model? Yeah, that that makes sense. Sure. And uh, how does your tool apply to like uh, let's say a Kickstarter and crowdfunding? Well, I mean, you know, Kickstarter and crowdfunding. You know, the reason I got involved with this at the beginning was I imagined if I was starting my own business, how would I understand what consumers want? So if I'm doing a Kickstarter and I have an idea, the first thing I'd be doing is researching whether people are talking about the idea and where the need in the market is. Um, you know, one of my one of my partners and friends, Nick Webb, recently launched a toy called Pond, which is kind of a competitor to Lego. And before he did that, um, I know he did a bunch of internet research because he's a sole proprietor to understand what were the gaps in the market around what he was trying to do and whether his idea was good. And he was able to uncover three or four key insights that helped him develop his product. No different than a Kickstarter. I mean, a Kickstarter is, you know, a place where you try to go get funding. But before you get funding, you have an idea. Social listening would help you make sure that you're not missing anything or help you build your idea better. So it becomes more attractive as a Kickstarter project. It was, um, I had a the founder of um, Pledge Music who has a kind of a Kickstarter-like model, but it's different, where you buy albums, and then if you buy enough pre-sold albums, the musician goes on tour, records it. And he was saying that he would tell each individual artist if they had enough of a following that was ready to be activated, and because of the the data that he could pull from, he knew what was the amount of money that they should raise. So he could gauge that ahead of time based on the level of an engaged following. That's an that's a great example because there were places to go figure out how engaged the following was, and that would tell them what they needed to do. Great example. I think you're right. And what do you and and what do you think he means by the engaged following? What kind of metrics would you say? Like, let's say for instance, somebody has. 5,000 followers on Twitter, but they're they're really active. They're the very gauge, engaged ones versus one someone who has, I don't know, 500,000 that are not. Like, how do you, because it's there's it's it could be quality versus quantity. Well, yeah, I mean, and that's the answer. That's where social listening is pretty powerful. I mean, we've started to, like, be able to follow a particular handle and slice and dice um, all the different metrics. I think some of the metrics are, like, uh, post engagement. Right, and post engagement would be when you post something, how much of your following actually, or response rate, how much do they respond back? There's nuances within beneath just how many followers you have. For example, we have um, the ability to look at a, a Facebook page, agnostic of you know brand, meaning you can point it at a Facebook page, you can see all the followers and everything everybody's saying. But in addition to that, what the sentiment is? Are they talking positively or negatively? How much passion do they have? Is it like or love? And what's very interesting is you can have, I've seen posts when we do this where there's 100,000 likes versus 50,000 likes, but the sentiment of the 100,000 likes is 50%, plus, for example, and for the 50,000 likes is 85%. So not all likes are created equally. So 
you have to kind of use listening to delve deeper into the different ways you can play some dice data so that you can get to that why I mentioned a while back. And what do you mean by love versus like? Like, what is um, the qualities of the difference? Well, I mean, you know, if you just think about it, love is positive emotion, positive sentiment, and a lot of passion. Versus like is I have positive emotion or positive sentiment and weak passion. It's not as intense. When someone says I like you versus I love you, you want to hear I love you a lot more than I like you. And what is the language that would go into it? Is there some type of way that you understand the certain word choices? Or what is the ways that, what is the... I guess on the granule level, granular level, how would you uh, specify uh, these key differences the when you're sure. looking at social media? For like, let's sure. say, for instance, you could say you shouldn't launch a Kickstarter yet. Your following is not engaged enough, or even though you don't have a ton of followers, you're, they're very engaged. So, I mean, the way we have like 15 PhD linguists, and they're they're masters of language. So when they decided what passion was, they took a grouping, or they continue to evolve it, of 400 or 500 keywords that are, are put across our entire 200, you know, million source, billions and billions of content database that says, you know, if any of these words are used, these are very positive and high intensity words, and then these are positive and weak intensity words. So, you know, and we share this with customers. Here are the words that are strong emotions versus weak emotions, positive and negative. So it's really just a game of words, and it's linguists deciding these are the words that connote much stronger intensity versus these words, while both grouping of words are positive. So you understand it on a more gray tones than black and white. Absolutely, because the way our system works is natural language processing. Like when you were a kid in, in high school coding sentences, it understands the relationship between those words. So for example, if someone says the iPhone has never been good, it will tag that as a negative sentence, where someone saying the iPhone has never been this good will be positive, even though it only differs by the word this, because the, uh, the algorithms understand in real time and scale the difference between those two sentences. You know what would be interesting is if somebody uh, was able to get some of the biggest crowdfunding campaigns ever, like the big success stories, and this could study the language, uh, just the, the way that the individuals were before it launched, and just kind of gauge who they are, and, and also see the ones that were uh, where there's failures, and then being able to see the the various levels of, of, uh, of engaged uh, fan base. Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, that's the point. I mean, you're bringing it up. Social media listening gives you lots of ways to design lots of methods to do lots of things. And, you know, it's something that's still and always going to be evolving. All right, perfect. Well, thanks so much. And uh, please let me know if you have anything that you want to mention, uh, any projects coming up. Yep. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, some of the stuff I'm more, I mean, I'm always working on new things, but, um, you know, it's really kind of dependent on the customer. Um, stuff that I'm trying to really understand, and you asked about this earlier, you know, how do we aggregate lots of, uh, lots of topics, kind of build indexes, you know, real indexes that allow you to do comparisons. Um, one of the things we're doing is, um, we're actually starting to build uh, a media and entertainment dashboard that's really focused on helping people not only in short periods of time but longer periods of time understand, um, you know, all the different shows on television, um, what the changes are, um, how many unique followers are posting. So we're actually trying to come up with, you know, very deep ways to very quickly analyze all the media and entertainment content, stuff like Bluefin and Trender that were out there that have been bought up by Twitter. We're developing our own system that's not only just going to tell you the number of mentions, but also look at things like behaviors, emotions, 
um, the relationships between, uh, you know, between the different characters and really trying to bring longer time to that and depth to that. So we're in the process of developing a system that's going to do that and bring even greater um, ability to analyze media content. And that's in the works right now. We're that's with that's interesting. Yeah, yeah. That's and a, we're really going to do something new. And uh, it's interesting that if you could be able to like see who's the fan that's bringing in more fans because you could see more of their social network, more of the their friends on it are moving to a fan page for a movie. It's like, are they like the hardcore evangelist? Yes, and, and you can figure out super fans even today just by looking at a topic, looking how much they've posted, how much followers they have, and really getting a sense of the virality. So you're right, when you get to unique posts, we can actually see how many unique interactions that are happening with, with a with a television show or a media property, uh, you know, from week to week, episode to episode, show to show, comparing both. So we're, we're in the process of developing things like that. All right, sounds great. Well, thanks for your time and um, look forward to talking again. Thanks for listening to another episode of Hollywood 2.0. You can contact me at cats, K-T-Z, films at gmail.com.